0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to this edition of our AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, along with my AWS co-hosts from around the world, we'll act as your ambassadors to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS Solutions Architecture Prototyping Teams. Every episode, we provide you with a roadmap to innovation and technology solutions. We're so glad you joined us on this journey. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of Floodmap, an early-stage technology company specializing in rapid, real-time flood forecasting and flood inundation mapping. We'll go behind the scenes of their work with our ANZ prototyping team, building a rapid experimentation platform for blood prediction machine learning models. We'll learn about this ambitious initiative to provide greater warning times and ultimately save lives and reduce damage and the associated financial losses. I'd like to welcome to the studio, Ryan Prosser, co-founder and CTO of Floodmap. Thanks for being with us, Ryan.
1: It's really great to be here. Thanks for having us, Sarah.
0: And from AWS, we have Jonathan Gerfinkel, Senior Prototyping Engineer from our prototyping team in Australia. Always great to catch up with you, Jonathan. Great to catch up with you too, Sarah. Great to be here with you and Ryan. So Ryan, for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about the mission of FloodMap?
1: Our mission is fairly clear. We want to reduce the human and economic cost of flooding to zero. And we think we'll get there by giving people the right information to make the hard decision to evacuate or protect themselves in an emergency situation.
0: We were originally going to record this podcast a couple months ago, and you got a 3 a.m. call, didn't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. So our headquarters is in Brisbane, Australia, and one of our first clients was Queensland Fire Emergency Services. And They use what it is that we do, which is real-time flood mapping, to identify properties that are going to be at risk and critical infrastructure. And over the past few months has been some of the worst flooding that Australia has seen in recorded history in some places. And the way that emergency management works is the local council is ultimately responsible, but when they don't know the full situation or need support, they talk to the state. And when the state needs deeper understanding or short-term forecast, they contact us. And so over the last weeks and months, we've had sort of offered 30-plus isolated forecasts for specific scenarios, provided information every hour about current conditions, and they've used that to do everything from evacuate people off buildings, identify if people are currently inundated, deploy rapid response levies. There's a lot of things that can be done if you only know what's going to happen or what's sort of currently going on. So it's been it's been pretty full on.
0: Amazing. And so talk to us a little bit about the science of this prediction that you do. There are just so many different variables that go into it.
1: There's kind of two core domains that we work in are hydrology and hydraulics. And hydrology is the science of taking the inputs, which are precipitation, stream flow, terrain, soil types. The things that kind of make sense, like you can have like a little backyard model where you pour a cup of water in at the top and maybe some of it soaks into the soil and then eventually it all collects down at the bottom. It works that way. The challenge is just the scale where if you're trying to do forecasts at 3,000 stations across the state of Queensland, which is three times the size of Texas, it's a lot of data to get just the answer of like, what's the water going to be here and when. And then the other domain is hydraulic modeling, which is given these inputs of discharge or height, where's the water going to spread? So the issue in The problem that we try to overcome is that currently there's a lot of hydrology forecasts. So if you're in Virginia, you can look at the NWS, or if you're in Australia, you can look at the Bureau. They'll tell you that the river's going to reach 10 feet or 5 meters. The problem is most people don't know what that means. And so we try to give them a map so that they can make the right, safe decision given that full context of information.
0: Amazing and probably terrifying in those moments of that 3 a.m. call, all that work that you've done now obviously put to, to real use to help save people's lives.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of mixed where we go around in circles. We never want people to need what we do, but we're really glad to help when we can. And it's really rewarding. But like anything, stakes matter. And so it is like when the rubber meets the road. And we've been really glad. Everyone who's been using the service has had nothing but great things to say about it. And they're working with us to kind of continually improve it, which is great. Because it's hard to say how many lives we've saved because there's no second test we can run. We're not going to withhold information to see how much better it would be, but uh, it's been really great.
0: Talk to us a little bit about this vision for sort of an experimentation platform. Why is this needed? And maybe talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with Jonathan's team
1: so we met jonathan last year through a few different people that i knew in the aws startup community in australia and they sort of introduced us to the prototyping team and we had this initial call and i was talking to jonathan and his team about all the various experiments that we wanted to run to learn more and it became maybe clear to to jonathan and his side that We could run one of these experiments for the prototype team and they could say that this particular meteorology variable is more pertinent to what you're doing than the ones you're using right now. Or we could build a framework to allow you to answer these questions yourselves with more velocity and we have a lot that we're still working through and it's almost this teach a man to fish parable where now we've got this framework where we can kind of continue to answer these questions ourselves and so that's been really valuable.
0: So Jonathan, take us from there. I love the idea of you building an experimentation platform when what you do for your day job is prototyping and experimentation. So you're enabling that for the data scientists over at Floodmap. Talk to us a little bit about how you approach the engagement.
2: Yes, I think, as you said, like what we do in prototyping is experimentation. So when we engaged with Floodmap and Ryan and his team, that's kind of what hit us really hard. It was Wow, there's a significant overlap with what they're trying to do with what we try to do in prototyping. So we really quickly got a feel for what they kind of required and what would really benefit them, comparing what they currently had to what we think would be really beneficial to where they need to go. So what we heard really loud and clear was collaboration, rapid experimentation, results, getting those results quickly and uh, effortlessly, and having some sort of UI or ability to visualize everything. From that, we worked from there, and we kicked off our own experimentation process to sort of evaluate and discover the best tools, AWS services that we could put together to provide them a solution.
0: So talk us through that MLOps flow that you built and that extensible UI. What were some of the key technologies that you used in the architecture?
2: So as part of our... Uh, I guess our remit in terms of uh, engagement, we sort of have that workshop and we work through with the customer. We get an understanding of what they've done, what they've already done and work a little bit backwards. And from there, we heard they'd used quite a few AWS services already, familiar with AWS Batch. And we heard a bit about the pitfalls of what they were facing. And from there, through experimentation, you know, we sort of found some really good pieces of the puzzle that would fit what they need. So how can we put those together? And particularly SageMaker Experiments was a big one because that, fit a lot of the componentry that they needed. You know, how do you keep track of different experiments, be able to roll back potentially if you need to. They had their own custom Docker containers that they needed to work with and build uh, their models from. So, you know, AWS code build and using SageMaker training to help train those models and achieve the results. But then again, it was a whole ML ops bit as well. How do we get to that point where you've got the experiments sorted, you've got the training done, you've got the build done, but you also have a flexible platform. And for us, Step Functions was a really good fit. I know they'd use AWS Batch in their own existing processes, but from how Step Functions had sort of evolved over time, probably since they had last looked at them, we begin to really see a really good fit with the flexibility there, the ability to have different decision trees, so they could run different kinds of models and switch branches effectively and get what they were after
0: in a really quick and efficient way. Fantastic. And that UI you built for extensibility was really important, Ryan, on your end, so that your data scientists could rapidly experiment. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's the the primary and we found some like secondary benefits. But yeah, so at the time when we first met with the team, we only had two people on the data science team and they were both very disciplined and would do good write-ups and share them with each other. But it was that sharing where we actually got the learning. Because a lot of building software isn't just about building tools, it's sharing knowledge and learning what not to do. And that was sort of the secondary benefit as we've more than tripled the size of our data science team now. And so not only can people start, get onboarded, push a, a branch that starts with experiment because it sort of picks that up from Bitbucket pipelines, which is what we use for a CI-CD framework, and just sort of take it through the whole thing. So they can push that branch, add a little bit of configuration, go get a coffee and take a look at a report, and then they can throw it in Slack and talk about it. So that's the primary benefit, getting rid of a lot of that boilerplate ML-op stuff to really increase the velocity of where we can run experiments. But the other secondary benefit we've got is when you're onboarding, Especially in a data science team, you want to go back and look at what's been tried, what didn't work. Because you're going to have these curious and clever people being like, oh, we should do this and do this. And it's like now you have this backlog of reports that people can go through and in a standardized way, read them, and they're not chicken scratch. They're all sort of same, the same metrics, and you can do like for like comparison. So that's been a real good secondary benefit as well. We always talk about what went wrong and experiments that failed,
0: right? Because that is part of learning and part of innovation is finding out what doesn't work. Were there anything here that didn't go as you expected or challenges in the technology that we had?
1: So I don't think with the technology there was any major issues. I think we had a lot of consultation-type meetings, and I think Jonathan and his team did a really good job of like listening to what it is that we were doing. ML is a very nascent field, and so it could be easy to just sort of carry on with uh, what they thought were practices were, and I think they've got a lot of good experience. But from the technology, I think it was really good. The only challenges we had was a couple of stopped starts just around some of the legal bits, just some of the wording, how it's phrased in the US entity, Australian entity, and if we're making a a platform to run experiments, are the experiments themselves IP? But that was the only hurdle, and we worked through that, and I learned a lot. And I think uh, Chitra and Jonathan's team was a great sort of uh, mediator between a lot of the people who know a lot more about legal and intellectual property than I do. So that was a good experience for me, if not a little bit challenging at the time.
0: How about you, Jonathan? Any uh, hurdles that we had to overcome on the technology side? the domain and the knowledge that Ryan and his team at Floodmap have,
2: you know, sort of, when we work with a customer, we put our shoes in their space and try to get our head around things. And it's a really huge space to get your head around and to sort of understand. So that for us generally is a big challenge with probably quite a few customers because we're IT focused people, engineers, and we, we think a little bit differently. So it really helps us to get our mindset into where they're at and how we can best help them. But technologically, we were quite fortunate with the AWS services that were available and how we put them together, they fit really well together for this particular problem space.
0: You mentioned earlier just the scale of the area that you're trying to cover even just in one state in Australia, Ryan, and I'm assuming that the volume of data that's coming through these systems is also quite a challenge.
1: Yeah, so it's been interesting for us because right now we're operating in Queensland and the coastal parts of New South Wales, uh, Virginia, parts of the eastern seaboard in the United States, and it is just an enormous volume of data. It's terrain data, it's meteorology data from like soil moisture, precipitation, temperature, and so you just have this big area and all of these different resolutions and time steps, and actually this is one of the secondary benefits of this engagement was learning some of the new benefits of some of the tools. So we've incorporated step functions into other workflows because we've been using batch as this directed processing graph because at the time, Lambda wasn't fit for purpose because it only has so much disk that you can use. But that's since changed and we've sort of adapted some of that to the pre-processing steps. But the ERA5 is this European Center for Medium Weather Forecasting reanalysis meteorology set. We use that a lot for training. It's like 17 gigs per variable to go back to like 1970. And so that's not really a unique, or that's not really a common size of like training data for like a single hydrology model. And so it provides maybe some distinct ML Ops type challenges, but what we ended up with was really good uh, and sort of fit for purpose.
0: So talk to us a little bit about where we are now. I know we're in the height of the flood season, as you mentioned, where are you in terms of the experimentation platform and how that's worked for you?
1: So it's been good. I think we're really just starting to see it maybe come into its own. As I mentioned, we've sort of grown the team. And so when you have a a couple of people, it maybe isn't as powerful but it has these network effects where if you save one person five minutes it's ho-hum but when you can save a whole team five minutes uh, every day it actually starts to really come into its own and we can use that to quickly evaluate different meteorology sources because beyond the one i described earlier there's all sorts of different uh meteorology providers australia Bureau of Meteorology has their own. And so we can quickly evaluate different types of inputs, which saves us a lot of time to have to write these like boilerplate MLOPs experiments. Uh, And so we've actually learned a ton. But there's been a bunch of second order benefits of uh, streamlining the other processes that we've been doing. The MLOps is like, it's a big community and you don't know everything. And so it's been a really good insight into how other people are doing things. And not only do we get this artifact of this working tool, but we got a lot of knowledge in how to use the existing tools, which has been really good for us. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do too many experiments because like you said, it's sort of the flood season. And so we've been working with customers. We've been looking at changing their forecast horizons, onboarding new people, moving into new geographies. I hope to get back to doing some uh, good old-fashioned R&D, but at the same time, I'm really happy to be able to work directly with customers to help them help people.
0: So in reflecting on this experience with our prototyping team, is there anything that you would share with our listeners about the approach or benefit or what you have learned?
1: I learned a lot. I imagine everyone's experience will be a little bit different, different teams, different opportunities, but I think it would be short-sighted to think that you know everything. I certainly carry the belief that I I know very little and I know a lot of what I don't know and even more about what I don't know that I don't know. And so learning sim industry best practices, learning how tools have changed over time. There's a, like you open the AWS console and it's daunting. Like there's so many services in there. Not only are there so many services just categorically, but each of them have changed. Step functions used to just be a pretty thin state machine and now it's almost like a full-fledged orchestration framework that we can use not only to run experiments, but other direct graph processes. You can do a lot more data pre-processing on Lambda. Uh, We're using code build as a secondary deployment pipeline. And yeah, it sort of takes a village to build systems of this scale. It was a really great experience.
0: And how about you, Jonathan? Any final thoughts for our listeners?
1: I think what was highlighted through this
2: engagement was the evolution more so of um, ML, ML Ops. I think it's still a new frontier. It's ever growing, it's ever expanding, and it's ever expanding as well in the cloud space. And we're seeing that with SageMaker continually to evolve different ways of doing ML ops. There's no hard and fast rule. You've got to find what works for you and just really be focused that what you're doing is performant for yourself, cost-effective, flexible and extensible, because you don't want to have to keep rewriting what you're doing. So really focusing on those keys really helps you work fast, be as efficient as possible. And that's what I think we discovered, particularly in the ML ops realm, is going to be beneficial for our customers moving forward.
0: Well, Ryan and Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us today, and Ryan, to your team, thank you for the work you're doing to help save people's lives and give proper flood warning for them.
1: Thank you. Thanks to your whole team for supporting us in that uh, endeavor. It's been great to be here.
0: I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWSInnovationAmbassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you.